Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Anxiety shows up in the body. Headaches, tummy troubles, and more. We talk about how understanding the mind-body connection can help manage the physical symptoms of anxiety, both yours and your kids. And we talk about the marks that 2020 might have left on your body. We'll answer that question in this week's episode of Fluster Clucks with Lynn Lyons, the show for real talk about worry and other big feelings in parenting. Hi, I'm Lynn Lyons. I'm an anxiety expert, speaker, mom, and author. I've been a therapist for 30 years. You're here because your family has some anxiety issues or you want to prevent them. I'm your co-host and Lynn's sister-in-law, Robin, and I'm here to ask your questions. Parenting can be a Fluster Clucks, and I'll help you find your way. So Lynn, I think we're all at a very interesting place in the fatigue that we're feeling for the pandemic. We so much want this to be over. And I thought that you could give all of us a little encouragement. What are those three things we need to be thinking about to get through what we hope might be a more final stretch? So here are the things that you need to pay attention to. You use this metaphor. You said it's like, this is the pit stop when you're running a marathon. And I said, yeah, it's really like the pit stop at mile 22, because that's when you hit the wall. And it's when you know that there's not that much more to go. I'm going to go with that because we can see the light at the end of the tunnel. And so it's important for us to have that optimism. The thing I keep saying, and I'll say again, is that hopes should be up. And when, we, when people say, should we keep our hopes up? Yes, we should keep our hopes up. They should be up. That's positive expectancy. It's the belief that things will change, the belief that things will get better. And without that, then that's when we really feel our energy just plummet. And that's when we really feel our enthusiasm or motivation or even just our pull ourselves up and get through this sort of disappears. So that's an important thing. It's okay to talk about what it's going to be like in the future. It's okay to make plans and think about it and play around with it with your kids. All of that stuff is really, really helpful. The other thing too to remember is I'm hearing some catastrophic language about the long-term impact of this. We don't know what the long-term impact will be in terms of kids in school and what it's going to look like next year and all that kind of stuff. So stay away from that language that says even, oh my gosh, I think this is going to really have a permanent impact on my family, or I don't know if my kids are ever going to recover from this. Whenever something difficult happens, and even when something great happens, it generally has an impact on us. It's not about this horrible thing that kids are never going to recover from. It is about the fact that this will impact them just as everything impacts us some degree, you know, sometimes to a larger degree than other degrees. So stay away from your catastrophic language. So the third thing, which brace yourselves, because this is going to be, this might push a few of your buttons. If you've been listening to this podcast, if you've been listening to us as these months have gone on, way back when I talked about silliness and creativity and being novel. Right now, it's hard to be novel because there is nothing novel about this. You have an opportunity 
to be surprising and playful in a way. Think back to some of the things that you did and that we talked about doing way back when in the spring and then in the summer and then in the fall. You know, maybe it's time to order another big jigsaw puzzle. Maybe it's time to have a silly costume party. Maybe it's time to go on some sort of adventure. You have to pull up the creativity and pull up the energy and pull up the novelty in a way that I know feels hard during month 11 of this. But I think that's going to be something that's going to help us get our mojo going for this final push. Now, when when I'm talking about the final push, particularly since we're in New England, I feel like if we can make it to the spring, if we can make it to the warm weather, even if things are not still masked up, we're still going to be able to get out of the house. Those three things, I think, are really important. I think fresh air is really, really critical. We are doing that in a very conscious way in my house. So all the three of us who are here, my younger son is back at school. We are going outside every day. Pull up your optimism as much as you possibly can and make sure you're modeling that for your kids. Do something for you. Remember, they're looking at your face. They're looking at your energy level. They're listening to your words. So make sure that you are finding some time to do things that allow you to feel energized. And maybe it's, maybe it's together as a family, but maybe you need to do it on your own as well. Well, we are actually kind of on a break right now. So this was, we're about to recast a past episode that many of our listeners said was a real game changer for them. But if you really miss us, you can always take the anxiety audit course and we will be back live with another final live anxiety audit on March 6th. And tickets are available on Eventbrite and the link is in the show notes. Anxiety is loud and messy and it's physical and it brings with it diarrhea and vomiting and headaches and tummy aches and hives and all sorts of physical symptoms that can really confuse kids and parents alike. So let's talk about how anxiety is felt in the body, what you need to know about it, and how as a parent you can really help your child learn to manage those physical symptoms of worry and anxiety that actually show up in all of us at some point. Yeah, Lynn, I've noticed just from some of the listener questions that we've gotten that anxiety really has a physical connection to it. It does. And actually, when we're talking about anxiety, technically, the word anxiety refers to those physical reactions You know, we talk about worry, that's the way we think and how we create that scary narrative in our brain. And anxiety, oh my gosh, it brings with us tummy aches and headaches and hives and chest tightness and all sorts of physical symptoms that can be really powerful and really messy. So why is anxiety such a physical experience then? It clearly doesn't stay in your head. It goes into your body. Yeah. Anxiety is so physical because our brains and our bodies are connected. We're designed to have this alarm system. I've seen your talk, so I know that you have been able to really break down very easily that physiological process of anxiety in the brain and how that connects to the body. And you actually have a a video you've made for kids on your website too. But once that anxiety is felt in the body, then it starts showing up in different parts. So so give us a bit of an overview on that. 
Yeah. So the physical symptoms of anxiety can include a lot of things. The most common ones are, of course, tummy aches. Anxiety wreaks havoc with the GI symptom. You get headaches. People get muscle aches. You can break out in hives. People throw up, diarrhea, and kids can experience all of these symptoms. So, so w- when we think about it, it, it the, the way to understand this and the way to, to, the way to imagine this is that the response that we have in our body really makes sense if we think about the messages that our brain gets when it thinks we're in danger and then how the brain signals the body to react in order to protect us. So every symptom that we're having with anxiety, whether it be that your heart is pounding or your breathing gets increased and shallow or your stomach starts to hurt, all of those symptoms are actually the result of your brain saying to your body, danger, 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 and then making adaptations to protect you from the grizzly bear that's attacking you. You say you're a little muffin and you're lying in bed and you're imagining that somebody's going to come kidnap you because that's what your worry does at night. Your little prefrontal cortex that's making up this movie about the kidnapper signals another part of your amygdala, and then your body gets activated because it's going to protect you from the kidnapper. So all of these things happen in your body. It's just that you don't understand what's happening. It just feels to you, it feels like you have a tummy ache, or it feels like your heart is pounding, or it feels like you have diarrhea, or it feels like like you don't understand what's happening, but it's actually incredibly well planned out if there were actually a grizzly bear. But if you're lying in bed imagining a kidnapper, there's no grizzly bear, there's no kidnapper, but then your body acts as if it is in in life-threatening danger. And that's why those symptoms are so powerful. And then what happens is you start to have the symptoms and then you start freaking out that you're having the symptoms because who wants to have a tummy ache or who wants to have diarrhea or your heart is pounding. And so you freak out because you think you're having a heart attack. So it becomes, unfortunately, this vicious cycle. If you are a mom who's trying to keep your calendar organized, keep your family's appointments where they need to be, then I'll tell you, the Skylight Calendar is a product that you ought to check out. You know how it is. Running a household can be pure chaos and it can be so stressful. This is why you need to check out the Skylight Calendar. It is going to make your life easier, mom. It really is. The Skylight Calendar is a smart touchscreen calendar and organizer for all your chores, groceries, to-do lists and a great way to manage appointments to make sure they never overlap and they're never missed. It helps keep busy households on track so families can get time back for moments that really matter. The Skylight Calendar is so easy to use and to set up. It's not going to frustrate you. You're going to be able to get it going within minutes. It syncs events from other family calendars, including Google, Apple, Outlook, you can add events directly using the touch screen or with the free Skylight mobile app. Updates to linked calendars will automatically appear on the Skylight calendar at home. So no more worrying that you guys are going to forget something. No more cluttered paper calendars. It shows all family events together in one spot. The events are color coded so you can easily see what everyone has going on each week. When the calendar's not in use, you can turn it into a digital picture frame. It's 100% satisfaction guaranteed. If you don't love the Skylight calendar, you'll receive a full refund. 
They offer a 120-day money-back guarantee and free returns. You can't beat it. I think the feature that I love most is the collaborative way we can all add to the grocery list. And then when I'm ready to place an online order, whether I'm at home or my office, I have that list and there's no more items that we forget. So as a special time-limited offer for our listeners, get 15% off your purchase of a Skylight calendar when you go to skylightcal.com slash flusterclucks. That's S-K-Y-L-I-G-H-T-C-A-L dot com slash flusterclucks. Mother's Day is coming right up. So order today to get 15% off your purchase at skylightcal.com slash flusterclucks. I really have to pay attention to hydrating properly. I work out a lot. I talk all the time, as you know. I am pretty active and I don't drink enough water. So I'm constantly thinking about how it is that I am going to hydrate in the best way possible. And I'll tell you, if my water has a little bit of flavor, it's so much easier for me. And if I can get those electrolytes, if I can get more bang for my buck, it's just so much better. I have been using liquid IV. I put it into a huge glass. I put it into the refrigerator. It's cold. It's very tasty. I've been putting it in my water bottle when I go to the gym. The packaging is so convenient. I actually look forward to drinking it, which is not something that comes naturally to me. I love the lemon-lime flavor. They've got a sugar-free option that is really great. So I think that if you're somebody like me that has a difficult time getting in the amount of hydration that you need for your body, Liquid IV is a great option. One stick, 16 ounces of water, it hydrates better than water alone. It's got three times the electrolytes of the leading sports drink, and it doesn't have all that sugar. It doesn't have artificial sweeteners. Eight vitamins and nutrients just for your everyday wellness It's non-GMO and free from gluten, dairy, and soy. However you hydrate, grab your Liquid IV Hydration Multiplier, sugar-free in bulk nationwide at Costco, or get 20% off your first order when you go to liquidiv.com and use code FLUSTER at checkout. That's 20% off your first order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code FLUSTER at liquidiv.com. If you are actually being chased by a grizzly bear, and for anybody out there who's been chased by a grizzly bear, you can back me up on this. If you've actually been chased by a grizzly bear, when you're running away from the grizzly bear, you're not saying to yourself, oh my gosh, why is my tummy hurting? Or, oh, my fingertips feel a little numb and tingly. That's odd. You don't even notice because that response is fight or flight, and it's designed to protect you. And it works that way. But if you're not actually in danger, but you're just worrying or having anxiety, then those responses in your body feel scary. They feel out of place. You mistake them from being for being sick, and it becomes really confusing. First, your New Hampshire husband has been chased by a bear, right? Not by a grizzly bear. Right, because they're not up in New Hampshire, I suppose. Correct. We have had plenty of bear encounters, but... Like one time we were hiking in the Blue Ridge on the Blue Ridge Trail in Virginia and I had a little tiny, tiny baby in a front carrier and there was a black bear up in a tree 
And it was very, very close to us and my little baby. And so I went and hid. But I've never been chased by a grizzly bear. You're pretty much toast. Do you find that with your clients that you see, do children stick to the same physical patterns? Or is it really kind of up for grabs and that anxiety could manifest in different ways in different times? Well, generally, it's kind of interesting because people do tend to have their go-to symptom or pattern of symptoms. So if you're a tummy ache person, if you if you get a, an upset tummy when you're anxious, you, you sort of stay a tummy ache person. There are some people who are headache people. So when they're really stressed or anxious, they get a headache. It tends to be kind of a pattern. It can jump around a little bit. A lot of times though, when kids are dealing with this, they experience a lot of those things at once. So the way the system works is that it doesn't just pick or choose which symptom it's going to give you because they're all tied in together to help you with your survival. But the ones that bother people tend to be the ones that get the most attention. If you get tummy aches and you really pay attention to tummy aches, maybe you don't even notice that when you're really anxious, your fingers also get a little numb. That's not really something that gets your attention. So tummy achers tend to say tummy achers, headachers tend to say headachers. There's a little bit of moving around, but they pretty much stick to the symptom that gets their attention the most. The other thing too is that it can be really hard for parents and kids to figure out, is this anxiety or is it not? And so what happens oftentimes is a lot of kids end up at the pediatrician or then oftentimes they're even referred to a specialist and they're given all sorts of tests and things. This happens a lot with GI stuff going on because the the parents are trying to figure out if there's, you know, and I'm saying this in finger quotes, really something going on. And the thing to remember is that if you are having physical symptoms because of anxiety, you're really having those symptoms. Like if you throw up when you're anxious, it's not pretend throw up. It's not a different kind of throw up. If you are somebody who breaks out in hives when you get anxious, you really have hives. If you get stress-induced migraines, you really get a headache. And so we have to be careful that when we're talking to kids about their physical symptoms, we're not invalidating that they're feeling that way. Because one of the things that happens very frequently is they perceive it. If you say to a kid, say a kid gets a gets tummy aches when they're worried, and we say, well, I think your tummy ache is because you're anxious. The way they hear that is, you think I'm faking. So we want to make sure that we say, you're really having these symptoms. And when we explain why are you having those symptoms? And again, I explained this on the video, but just as a, just an interesting point, right? So people say, well, why does my stomach hurt when I'm anxious? One of the things that happens when you're anxious is that your digestive system shuts down. And when your digestive system stops, stops processing the food and digesting, it makes you feel nauseous. So when kids begin to understand that, when kids can can say, oh, so the reason I'm having this symptom is because this is happening, then it makes it less scary. We always want to demystify this thing. We always want to say, well, of course, that's what your tummy is doing because look what happened. The reaction caused this and this. And that way we can talk about the symptoms in a way that doesn't make the child feel defensive about having I them. have another question. When I think of what I've learned from you and some stories and examples that you've shared, I can think mm-hmm. of one where you talk about one of your children going for their driver's test and 
and he mm-hmm. was very nervous. And you even made a comment mm-hmm. like keeping him in the moment and keeping him grounded because there was an obvious experience he was fearing. He was fearing his mm-hmm. exam. And so he had this anxious mm-hmm. response. But it doesn't always connect so simply, right? Because there's right. like a, an anxious state that someone can be in that those physical symptoms come with, but it's not necessarily tied to an event. And therefore, the anxiety might be harder to identify. Right. Yeah. So the memory that you're having is my son was going to get his driver's test and I looked down and his hands were purple with little white dots on them. <laughs> and I said, oh, look, your your body is anxious. And so it's pulling the blood from your digits and bringing it to your core and it's making your hands purple. And he was, you know, you can imagine he's 16 and about to take his driver's test. So he was like, Thanks for sharing. That's a that's a very good point because when a child is chronically worrying about something, right? So say you've got and remember, I don't care about the content, but what we know is that anxiety doesn't like uncertainty. So if you have a chronic worrier, if I if you have what I call an equal opportunity worrier, so a child who we would say probably has generalized anxiety disorder, right? Anything that comes up that's new or different or uncertain. And they're always playing this little movie in their head with those worst case scenarios. This is why we don't want to be a catastrophic parent and teach kids to think about worst case scenarios because we're teaching them how to worry. And so when you're worrying all the time, your little amygdala back there is, is in a constant state of arousal. I heard somebody once say, your amygdala is open for business. And so it's constantly just giving you, it's, it's filling your body. It's, it's sending off the chemical signals that it sends off, right? The adrenaline and the noradrenaline. It's, it's telling your body that you're in danger. And it may not be, you know, full on panic attacky thing, but a constant state of feeling worried and anxious that then gets your body juiced up in that way. So they have a tummy ache all the time or they have headaches a lot. Every morning before school, they wake up and they have a tummy ache. It can be other physical symptoms too. They can talk about what we call vague somatic complaints, which is I feel tired, I feel sick, my back hurts. So in that case, and again, we don't we don't need to solve the mystery of that in terms of like, what's making you anxious? I think I've told the story before where people say, you know, well, she's so worried every morning before she goes to school, she has a tummy ache and her teacher is nice and we've made sure there's no bullies and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And they go, we don't understand what's making her anxious. It's just uncertainty. Worriers can be in a chronic state of physical arousal that gives them these these physical symptoms for sure. You have a child who has chronic tummy aches or chronic headaches. Mm -hmm. Since we talk a lot about you know, the key to mental health being the ability to create distance from one's feelings. Does Mm -hmm. an awareness of this pattern help empower a child or an adult to start managing it? Absolutely. Because once you understand the physiology of it, again, then it makes it less scary. And one of the things that then happens is that you can talk about the tummy ache without that way of them saying like they have to prove to you that you're that they're sick. And then you're actually talking about the problem at hand. So I'll give you an example. Oftentimes I'm, when I'm dealing with schools and we're trying to come up with a plan for a little kid that, that goes to the school nurse all the time. So they go to the school nurse and they always have, let's say they, they go and they have a tummy ache and maybe they're going to the school nurse four times a week, or even just every Monday morning, they show up in the school nurse's office. Part of what I want written into their plan 
is that when they go to see the school nurse, because the school nurse is a wonderful resource and can be really helpful with this, when they go to see the school nurse, I want them to walk in and say, Mrs. Smith, my worry is bothering me and it's giving me a tummy ache. So now Mrs. Smith is going to help them, you know, again, externalize and have do a little role playing with their worry instead of treating them as if they're sick. As soon as we give kids information about this and we can call it what it is, it is really empowering. In order to have these accommodation plans in place with school nurses, are there a lot of steps that are challenging or are the nurses willing to take that information and are the kids willing to cooperate with that information too? Or is that a wish list? No, it's pretty realistic. I will tell you, school nurses are my favorite people to train. I love school nurses because they're so good at this and they're such a good resource. One of the things when I talk to them about it, it, they have to undo a little bit of their assessment training because when a kid comes in and says, I don't feel good, there's a series of steps that they go through to make sure that the kid isn't sick. But once we've identified what we call a frequent flyer, so once we know that this is a, a little person who's got these somatic symptoms and we talk about it, the school nurses are awesome. You know, the other thing too to, to remember, and, and parents will ask this question, like, how do I know if they're sick? Or, you know, what if, it, what, if, what if they really are sick? What if they have tummy aches because they're anxious and then there's a time when they really are sick? You know, then that would be terrible to make that mistake. And what I talk to families about is that it, it, there, there may be a time when you miss it, right? Or there may be a time when you're you're not right about it. There was um, a girl that I saw for a long time and she was definitely a nurse visitor. And so the school nurse where she went to school totally had this down. Like this is a veteran school nurse and I we had a great uh, agreement that she, she knew what to do. And then a new school nurse came in, you know, a young rookie school nurse. So this little girl starts going down to the nurse again, and the nurse is calling the mom again and saying like, oh, she's got stomach pain. She might have an appendicitis. And the mom is like, oh my gosh, we've been down this before. So I put the fear of God into this new young school nurse, I think, and told her, you know, this is what you're supposed to do when she shows up. So a few months later, the little girl goes down to the nurse and she says, I'm not feeling well. And the nurse says, you know, remember, you know, when Lyons said, don't fall for it. She's like, I think it's your worry. Go back to class. So the little girl goes back to class and she's sitting there and she's like looking more flushed and more droopy. And the teacher goes and puts her hand on her forehead and she's really hot. So she sends her back to the school nurse again saying, I think she's really sick. So they take her temperature. Her temperature is like 103 or they call the mom and then she ended up having strep throat. So she comes into my office after all this happens and she is mad at me. She's like, that school nurse didn't know I was sick and you didn't believe me. I was really sick. And so I said to her, so I said to the mom, how long did it take from the time when she went down for her first appointment to when you got the call and retrieved her at school? And the mom was like, I don't know, it was probably like an hour and a half. And so I said to this little girl, all right, so I'll make that deal anytime. You had to suffer with your strep throat for an hour and a half. I'm sorry that you were sick. I'm glad we figured it out. But the way that worry ran your life for the year prior to this, right, I'll take that hour and a half. And as because because the system we have now to recognize how your worry takes over your body has been so, so helpful to you. She folded her arms and went, hmm. Yes, <laughs> yes. that's exactly right. And I think there was a little eye roll in there too. But helping, I mean, and that's the differentiation that we have to do. Now, let me just say this too. If a child is coming to see me and they've got physical symptoms, like they're, they're getting bad tummy aches or they're getting bad headaches or things like that. 
I want them to get a clean bill of health. I'm not the one who's going to decide that. I'm not the one who's going to say, oh, well, you're having these terrible stomach aches. They must be your worry. Most of the time when kids come to see me, they've already been down that route. They've already they've already gone and gotten an examination. There are certain diagnoses that kids get, actually, that in the anxiety biz are sort of like, ooh. Yeah, so one is called functional abdominal pain. And these are pain syndromes. A functional abdominal pain means that your system is functional. That's why we call it functional. Everything's working, like the food is emptying and you're going to the bathroom, but you still have abdominal pain. And that's very often anxiety related. And there are a few other diagnoses that when I hear them, then that is a little, that's a little like, oh, of course you have that diagnosis because it tends to be those things we see that are exacerbated by anxiety. But once we know that physically they're good to go, then we can start educating and talking and helping the child and the parent make those connections between worry and the physical symptoms in your body. If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. With sometimes hilarious and always thought-provoking experts and friends, at Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. This actually brings up a great listener question that we got that inspired this episode. So are you ready? I'm ready. When your child has physical complaints, it's so hard to know when to push them. Stomach aches, headaches, pains to still go to school or a sports practice or to not pick them up from a friend's house. It feels like you're ignoring your child's physical distress. When they're sick or in pain, you tend to them. When you suspect the pain is anxiety related, it's near impossible to say to them, well, this stomach ache isn't one we're going to allow for you to miss school. But the other day, the stomach ache was the kind that you can miss school for. It's so hard to force them to push through something when the complaint is physical. So what do you do? How do you tell the difference? And and what you want to look for is you want to look for a pattern. If you've got a kid who complains a lot of physical issues, so it might be this, it sounds like this is a little person who can sort of have a headache and a tummy ache and aches and pains, right? We call those vague somatic symptoms. If this is a pattern, you want to pay attention to that. And are they, are they more likely to have physical symptoms 
when they're going to something new or when they have to go to soccer practice or when they're going to a sleepover. So trust your observational skills, mom, that, you know, it seems that there may be something that she's stepping into that's going to trigger some worry. Sometimes you might be wrong and that's okay. This is not about perfection. But what you want to work on with with your child is you want to have that conversation that says it is really okay for you to be worried about something and we know that the body reacts to worry in different ways. And so if you're stepping into something new or you're doing something that feels challenging, I bet we can expect that worry is going to show up and along with worry, because remember we talked about that mind-body connection, you might have some physical symptoms too. So really starting with that psychoeducational piece. And I think oftentimes, and it sounds a little bit what this mom is saying too, is that she doesn't want to feel like she's not tending and caring and loving her child who's who's struggling. I just want you to love and care and tend to the right thing. So if your daughter is worrying and has a tummy ache, we don't want to say, I'm not going to pay attention to that tummy ache. You go off to soccer practice because then we're not using that opportunity to teach her about how her worry operates. So you want to be loving and supporting and and encouraging, but you want to help her make the connection between her body and her mind. Now, I teach this to kids in my office all the time. And some kids are very like, oh, that makes sense. And other kids are like, no, I have a tummy ache. And what are you talking about? So it's not an easy sell all the time. And sometimes it's a process of helping them see that connection. And sometimes when kids absolutely get it, so they know that they get stomach aches when they're worried. There are still times when the mom will say, you know what? I think your stomach ache is because you're worried about going to baseball practice. And the kid's like, it is not. And stop saying that. I mean, this this is not like a nice linear path where kids are like, oh, that's so helpful that you pointed that out to me. But we want to just keep helping them make that connection. One of the things that I do to help kids make the connection is I want to take it out of their experience and give them examples that are a little farther away from them. And so I'll ask kids, what are some things that you think your body does in reaction to the way that you feel? I want to help them understand the mind-body connection. We might talk about blushing. We might talk about how if you're a little bit thirsty and you see an ad on TV and they're pouring some lemonade into a cup with ice and it's going clinka, clinka, right? And oh my gosh, your, 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 your mouth starts to feel even drier and you start craving that drink. Or if I started talking to you about lice that you would reach up and want to scratch your head. I'm working to help them normalize and see the connection between their mind and their body, their thoughts and their reactions. So then when I'm talking about their worry and their tummy, I've already put it into kind of this normal realm of human experiences, and it doesn't seem so out of the norm for them to have that reaction. By definition, are all of the physical symptoms of anxiety still considered psychosomatic? Or is that something different? Yeah. So psychosomatic just means that you've got a physical symptom that's caused by some mental or emotional state. You have a tension headache or you've got butterflies in your tummy because you're about to compete in something. Or for me, when I get nervous, when I get really anxious about something, I get cold and I start to sort of physically shake. So psychosomatic, those somatic reactions. And what happens And it really is pretty astounding. Like we should be in admiration of this mind-body connection because it can be astounding. 
where people will have reactions where they'll lose the use of their legs. Or I had one little boy long, long ago, and this wasn't really a psychosomatic reaction, but it's certainly a mind-body connection reaction, where he came to see me and he was wearing these cute little like Harry Potter glasses and he was so stressed out. He was just such a worrier. And so then he came back a year. I, I didn't see him for a while and he came back like a year later because he needed just a little a little boost, a little check-in and he wasn't wearing his glasses. I, I said to him, oh, where are your glasses? Did you get contacts or something like that? And the mom says, no, interestingly, after we worked on his anxiety and he was able to really learn how to manage his stress, we went back for his eye checkup and his eyes had gone back to normal. His stress was so significant that it was impacting the muscles around his eyes and impacting his vision. It really is, it, it is a power that we have, the connection between our mind and our body. It really is something to be looked at with, with awe. I mean, it really is unbelievable and I think when we put it in those terms for kids, that we say, it is amazing what your body does. It is amazing how your body can, I, I don't want to say create these symptoms, but have these symptoms based on what you're thinking or what you're feeling. It's because your mind and your body are so connected. It's really pretty cool. And then that way we, we take away again that like, oh, you say I'm faking. Because I say, no, I, I, I don't think you're faking. I think this is a superpower that we have. And sometimes anxiety uses it, you know, for its own purposes. You know, you always talk about the externalization mm -hmm. of your worry. Mm -hmm. When they understand that connection, these conversations will go a lot better. And if you are skipping this part of the education with them, they're going to be defensive. This is a real tummy ache. What are you talking about? Right. So if you're a parent and you're listening to this, hey, 2020, right? Like a lot mm -hmm. of people might be experiencing more physical symptoms from their own stress than they had before too. So it's, it's like a good wake up call to see is your body letting you know that you're carrying an anxiety load that right. needs attention. Yeah. And that's such a good point because- so say, you know, when, when, when we get defensive about it and we say, oh, you know, I have a real tummy ache, we're missing the opportunity to say, is my body telling me something that I should be paying attention to? It's really, it's really saying if your body is having this fight or flight response in a chronic way and it's totally, you know, making you have chronic chest pain or back pain or diarrhea, you know, your body and brain are like, we think we're being chased by a grizzly bear all the time. That's a real wake up call that maybe you better step back, look at your lifestyle, look at your, the pressure you're putting on yourself, look at your self care. Our body lets us know if we can teach that to kids, that's a really important thing for them to understand a really important thing for them to be able to monitor in their set in, in themselves. There's this other thing too, just to be a little psychobabbly, but there's this other thing called anxiety sensitivity. And that refers to an overreaction to normal symptoms of anxiety in the body. And you have a really hard time acknowledging or connecting that it's anxiety. So an example of that might be, say you're going for a job interview and you're really, you really want the job and you wake up in the morning and your tummy feels a little weird and you say to yourself, oh my gosh, you know, I'm so nervous about this and my tummy feels weird. So I'm not going to eat any breakfast or I'm going to skip that cup of coffee and I'm going to make sure I put extra deodorant on, right? That's you acknowledging that your body has symptoms when you're anxious about something. If you have anxiety sensitivity, you're, you're going into the job interview, your heart is pounding because you're you know nervous about it. And then you start worrying that now you're having a cardiac event. So you really get anxious about the physical symptoms that you're having 
that are generally normal symptoms based on a normal level of anxiety. And that becomes this vicious cycle that, that kids and adults can get caught in. I can't remember what this what zodiac sign this is in Chinese astrology, but 2020 is definitely the year of the grizzly bear. Well, I think we we you know are sort of walking around uh, a lot feeling under attack, right? So so even just think of when the virus started and I remember my husband going to the grocery store at first and we didn't know much about this and he was wearing gloves and and a, a hat and a mask and just being he said going to the grocery store was so anxiety producing. So you think about that. Remember, this primitive brain doesn't know much. It knows danger, no danger. That's it. So so he's going to the grocery store. And while he's grocery shopping, he might as well be in Montana in grizzly bear country because he's feeling that way. When I was in Montana in grizzly bear country, I was anxious the whole freaking time. Yeah, it's it's intense of the psychological heaviness. And then like there's a whole other episode of for the hypochondriacs out there or like mm-hmm. we're all hypochondriacs in a global epidemic too. That's right. Of, of oh, here are these symptoms and then you immediately jump to COVID too. So it's just right. it's so much somatic awareness is really required this year not to get tripped up. Yeah, and so the question, you know, the question we could ask in general what's your grizzly bear? So certainly this was a pretty global grizzly bear. We had this virus, but everybody, it's so interesting to me how different people have their different grizzly bears. Like some people, it's snakes. Some people, it's heights. Some people, it's speaking in public. And the point of it is, is that if you are stepping in all the time to situations which your your brain perceives you are in danger, it wears you out. And that's why we feel so worn out. Like you say, you're going to the grocery store trying to figure out whether or not you're allowed to breathe. You're, you're, you're sending your kids back to school. Think about all the teachers that were going back into schools and weren't sure about this and how stressful it was. I mean, I think when we talk about how exhausted a lot of us feel, it's because our body is in this, this state of fight or flight. You know, for some people it is, but it's not like, you know, your heart rate is, is way high all the time, but it's this chronic hypervigilance that we're all experiencing and our body is activated during those times of emotional stress. Everyone is just living with this baseline of fight or flight right now. Hugs to all of those wonderful school nurses that and teachers and healthcare workers and parents yeah. who are really managing a lot. And let me just say this, because that's a really good point. Let me just let me just generalize it a little bit more as we talk about sort of parenting and modeling like I like to talk about. Forget about the pandemic for specifically for a little bit. When I talk about the emotional tone in your house, when I talk about what you're modeling, when I talk about whether or not you're a catastrophic parent, just be aware that if you are in that chronic state of worry so that you're activated all the time, make sure or pay attention to the fact that that's contagious. And so you're showing your little cubs how to be in that chronic state as well. That's how it gets passed down a lot. When we talk about anxious kids and anxious parents, if your amygdala is open for business, you are showing your kids how to do that. And it's really contagious. Hard now. I get it. I get it. I get it. But just in general, that's just an important point for me to make because I really want to make sure that we recognize how contagious and transferable this is both in a positive way and a negative way. Positive if we are transferring and being contagious with our strategies to Mm -hmm. manage it. 
Right. And that's great to know that those can be just as contagious as the pathological behavior. If you are an adult who has a lot of somatic symptoms and you talk about them a lot, you're also showing your kids that. So I see that in families a lot too. So instead of talking about their feelings or saying, I'm feeling so angry or gosh, I'm so nervous that my tummy hurts. If you're somebody who comes from a long line of psychosomatic people, then that is really contagious too. So we used to call it hypochondriac. Now we call it a somatization disorder. My husband was raised by one and he was very hypochondriacal when I met him. He had all these terms for normal things. Like, you know, when you get that little bump on your tongue that sometimes, you know, they're annoying, they feel like they're big. He calls that a herniated taste bud. And when he has a stuffy nose, he calls it a nasal infection. He's got all these terms that are totally, I'm like, you just have a little canker sore on your tongue. He's like, yeah, that's a herniated taste bud. That's weird. But his mom is a total hypochondriac and he recognizes it now and he's come a long way. But boy, when I met him, I was like, geez, I didn't know somebody could have so many maladies. In my family, one of my grandparents is, you know, all of this to a T. And fortunately, Mm -hmm. it didn't pass on to my parents. Mm -hmm. But that language of using your health and your symptoms to sort of control your environment around you too, right? Just to always have a symptom that's preventing you from doing what you don't want to do or, or participating in family experiences. And we've got all these phrases that we use, right? So, oh my God, what a pain in the neck. Or, oh, that is going to be a headache. That made me sick, right? We use that. We recognize that in just in our phrases and our language. One of the uh, psychiatrists in my very first job out of graduate school, Dr. Don West, what a great teacher he was. He said to me, you know what, Lynn, remember, nothing happens from your neck down unless it happens from your neck up first. So I have to share that, as I mentioned, I have this grandparent who is a hypochondriac. Mm -hmm. And my son, when he was like six or seven, after having heard conversations with this grandparent on speakerphone in the car or whatever else, Mm -hmm. he finally said, if I ever know if it's, you know, my great grandma talking, the second she says the word diarrhea, I know it's her. (laughs) (laughs) And actually, so the second he said that, what was funny is uh, this is merging two episodes. I find it stressful hearing her talk about her health symptoms, but my son made it a game and we talked about this with <gasps> difficult mothers-in-law in the last yes. episode. And so it became a game of how many times she would mention diarrhea in a phone call. And then I shared it with my other relatives who have to care for and hear the health log of yeah. my grandmother. And it made us all find like a giggle in something that was otherwise yes. very stressful. Perfect. There you go. Fun with <laughs> diarrhea. <laughs> Anybody can play. Join the Fluster Clucks Facebook group so that you can ask your question on a future episode. Bye, Lynn. Bye, Robin. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? 
And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts.